This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today on episode four of season three. If you have a few insect pests on the crop, you actually can stimulate the plant because we have seen a bit of a response where you have a few insects on the plant and you actually get more yield compared to a plant that has no insects at all. Dr. Hector Carcamo joins the show. Hector is a senior research scientist at the Lethbridge Research and Development Center in Alberta, which is part of Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Hector's work focuses on developing integrated pest management strategies for insect pests in crops such as faba beans, field peas, canola, and some forage crops. He helps growers to develop management strategies and looks for ways to reduce reliance on chemistry. Today's episode focuses on two pulse crop pests in particular, ligus bugs and pea leaf weevil, although we will also talk more generally about biological control of insect pests, including predators, parasites, and trap crops. Hector begins today's episode by talking about the damage that can be done by pea leaf weevil on field peas and faba beans. So what happens is that the weevils are munching or eating the foliage, they're laying eggs, and then the eggs will hatch and the larva will burrow into the soil and then they will find the root nodules and they are specialized feeders. They feed on the bacteria. There's a bacteria called rhizobium that uh, will form nodules with the pea roots and that's what they, they, they're after. So they will, they will attack them and they can destroy a very high proportion of the nodules and that affects the plant's ability to fix nitrogen right from the air and it, it negates the advantage of planting a pulse crop. And the same thing happens with power beans. We have done studies also to determine what that level of damage is that is critical for yield losses. And with power beans, uh, interestingly, it seems to be lower. It looks like if you have 15% or one five, 15% of the seedlings with damage on the clam leaf, that level of damage appears to be sufficient to cause yield losses in power beans which can be quite high. We have uh, documented losses in terms of kilograms per hectare, I think uh, anywhere between 250 to 500 kilograms per hectare, which can be quite substantial for the losses. So it's important, I suppose, to know what your level of risk is for your area, for the populations of people. So if you are finding those levels of damage more than 15%, perhaps you should think about what insecticide options are available to do seed treatments for the following year. Hector said one female pea leaf weevil can lay over 2,000 eggs. Luckily, predators and pathogens get to a lot of those, but it's still a pest that can get out of control if not managed properly. The management of these insect pests is, is a little bit complicated. You will see the damage there, and we have developed, I hate to say the word threshold because, you know, you know the, the word threshold implies that uh, you scout your crop you assess the damage, you determine the level of damage, and then you make a decision about threshold, right? Uh, and then you apply a control action, which most of the time is insecticide spraying. But with the pea leaf weevil and peas or beans, the timing is really important. And the best thing to do is to be prepared before you even seed the crop, because you probably will have to apply uh, an insecticide seed treatment to manage this pest because the, the damage can happen very fast. And also, the main challenge is that you don't get all the weevils arriving into the crop at the same time. 
you know, they come more like in waves and or continuous immigration. So if you have more than 30% of seedlings with damage on the plum leaf, it means that the densities and the feeding activity is high enough to cause yield losses. And it can be very frustrating because at that time, it's very hard to control them if you reach that level. So the usefulness of that threshold is mostly to know that in your area, you have a history of damage and the following year, you should probably prepare and apply an insecticide seed treatment. Because if you, if you spray a foliage insecticide, more than likely, they already have laid lots of eggs and they will also continue to immigrate in the field. So you spray the insecticide and say you kill most of the weevils. You never kill all of the insects when you spray insecticide. Right? You, there's still a few that are left and those can continue to lay eggs. And what's uh, more serious is there's continued migration from the weevils into the field. And then they will continue to lay eggs. If you had an insecticide and had a very long residual period, that might help control them. But as far as I know, we don't have one, at least in Canada, we do not have an insecticide that has a residual period that is, say, more than seven days, at least two weeks, because that is the crop stage when the plants are vulnerable to have uh, the weevils affect their yield. Hector says there's not really proven biological control tools commercially available for pea leaf weevil yet, but there is a parasitic nematode that may have potential. He says there are nematode factories in Europe where you can buy this particular nematode, but the cost is still quite high. There is another idea, though, that he says needs more research, but might have even greater potential. This idea has some merit, but it requires a little bit more research, so so I I have to... uh come clean and say that it's not something that we have documented yet, but we would like to continue this research, is to actually plan the perimeter of the field first. We have done it with some fields, and it seems to work in some cases. We did it uh, in peace. Uh, we haven't done this for province, but in some cases it seems to work. So you plant your, your piece, and if you had a variety that, uh, that grows faster, that would be even better. So you plant a, a variety that, that grows very fast along the borders, and then you plant your main crop, your standard variety, in the rest of the crop in the middle of the field. Then you will know that the weevils will come there, and you would have to spray it a couple of times along the borders. But you probably save probably 90% or 80% of the insecticide cost by doing that. We have done that with Cali uh, seaport weevil in canola. And we know that it, it's an effective strategy. And the, this uh, pea leaf weevil has a, a fairly similar biology. So it, it also has potential to work there. That could be an option that could help growers. There are, of course, natural enemies out there for the pea leaf weevil. But Hector says these can be reduced from the use of foliar insecticides. And he says that tillage can also have an effect on these pest populations. And um, there are always natural enemies that are in every farmer's field. Every field that you go and you start uh, looking carefully, especially if you go at night with a flashlight, you will see there are beetles that are walking around looking for things to eat. So there are those insects that are uh, beneficial. And that's why it's really important not to use the foliar spray insecticides too much, because when you use them, you are reducing populations of the beneficial insects. So that's something to keep in mind. I was also going to mention that uh, there are studies 
from your neck of the woods where they have shown that PLH may have a, a negative effect on the pea leaf weevil. It looks like if you till the soil, you get the crops to grow faster. And I think it's similar to planting early. So they have noticed that that fields that are that are not tilled, they seem to have less damage by the pea leaf weevil compared to fields that are tilled. And I think that has to do with the fact that if you till the, the field, you know, you open up the soil, it gets warmer, it gets drier faster, and, and then you can you can get your crop to get a head start and grow faster. I don't know what would happen if no tillers got adopted and everybody is not tilling the fields, then everybody will be on the same level and you might not see the difference. So that's something that I wonder because we see that with flea beetles in southern Alberta where most of the farmers in our area, probably 70%, maybe even more, practice reduced tillage. And we still see a lot of issues with flea beetles. And, and somebody had made the same comment in, in the research where they had found that flea beetle damage was lower in fields that were not healed compared to fields that were healed. And I think it, it had the same effect of increasing the development rate of the plants rather than really have an, an effect on the behavior of the insects. But it's an interesting question, I think. And something to keep in mind, so that if you are beside, say you have two farmers, one is doing tillage, another one is doing no tillage, and they plant at the same time, you may see more damage in the field that is healed because the crops are slightly ahead of the other one. Now, before we shift gears here to talking about the Ligus bug, I wanted to ask Hector about biological control in general. Specifically, I wanted to know, do we have proven cases where commercial pests are controlled biologically, or is that just an ideal that we're sort of striving for? There are good examples, he said, apparently one of them in cereal crops with the cereal leaf beetle. With this insect, it's one of the examples where biological control is very effective. There is a very, very tiny wasp. If you make a couple dots with your pen on a piece of paper, there is the size of your biological control agent, this wasp. It doesn't have a common name, so we refer to it by the Latin name, it's Tetrasticus julis, or just T. julis for short. And this tiny wasp is really effective at finding the larva of the cereal insect pest, and it will lay five or six eggs inside. Then the eggs will hatch into tiny larva, little baby worms, if you like, of the beneficial wasp, and then they will eat it from the inside. I, I hope this is not too disturbing for people. <laughs> but this is, this is how nature works. So the larva will eat the, the pest from the inside and eventually will come out and will kill the, the larva. And then they will pupate. They will come out in a few days, and then they will look for more larva to attack. And that is one of the best examples of uh, how biological control can help farmers to manage a pest. So there are reasons to believe that it's at least possible to find ways to help manage these pests biologically. Now to shift over to the Ligus bug, which has been a big problem in fava beans. Unlike the pea leaf weevil, which came into the country from overseas, the Ligus bug is a native pest to Western Canada. You know, the pea leaf weevil is one species. The ligus bugs, they have similar biology, and the species will differ depending on where you are. The number of generations that they have is also different. The pea leaf weevil only has one generation per year. The ligus bugs, they can have, in your area, they probably have three generations. 
In my area in southern Alberta, they have two generations. If you go further north, say uh, in northern Alberta, you only have one generation. So it's a very flexible insect species in terms of its life cycle. It also has a very large potential to increase in terms of population size very quickly, depending on the temperature and the weather. So I've been working in, uh, at the research center here in Lethbridge for almost 23 years now. And this has been the year that I saw the highest uh, outbreak of lichus bugs. And it was widespread because we had similar conditions. Uh, and lichus bugs, they are generalists as far as their feeding habits. They will feed on almost everything. There, there's some minor preferences depending on the species. So some species will prefer more alfalfa. Some will prefer to feed more on the uh, canola plants, for example. But they pretty much feed on, on everything because they feed on the, on the buds and the flowers and the immature seeds, which every plant has, right? All of our crops. So for example, in 2021, we had bulbs, uh in canola, power beans, flax, alfalfa, and others that I throw, oh, hemp, quinoa. Uh, if somebody starts growing uh, marijuana in the field, they're going to have to find a way to manage the lichus bugs. And because some of these crops are obviously there for human consumption, you have to be careful about uh, what we spray on the plants, right? And when we spray. I wondered if, because lichus bugs are native to the area, maybe they might have more native predators that can help keep the populations under control. Well, that may be the case in more natural areas, but not so much in our cropping systems, which are obviously not their natural ecosystem. We suspect that these parasitoids are, are not very effective. They may be repelled by the odors, the smells of canola or the crops. You know, they are used to being in a more diverse plant ecosystem, so they're not very effective. And the reason we are doing this work is because there is a, a parasitoid now established in, uh, in the eastern U.S. And, and actually, I should thank you, our American friends, for introducing it because uh, it was thanks to the uh, USDA biological control efforts that they found the parasitoid in, in France and then they introduced it into uh, Newark in the eastern U.S. And now the, the uh, wasp is called Peristinus ligonutus. It attacks ligus bugs and it has been very successful in controlling ligus bugs in strawberries in alfalfa in, uh, in, in eastern USA. And now the wasp didn't bother to get a passport and it just moved into Canada and it's now in, uh, in Quebec and southern Ontario and it seems to be establishing well there. And uh, this new project that we're starting and, and hopefully there will be other projects that people are starting, entomologists there, they, we will be looking at uh, what's happening with the native parasitoids because we have peristinos in the same genus in Eastern Canada and also in Western Canada. So we are doing these studies to consider bringing that parasitoid from the East, which is already in Canada, and moving it to the West. But we have to be a little bit careful because, like I say, we already have these this native beneficial insects and we don't want to create a, an environmental issue, right, where you release a new insect in an area and then it gets out of control and uh, Sometimes they don't even control the pests that you want them to control, but they could uh, affect the native communities of beneficiaries that we have here. So let's talk about the problem in fava beans specifically with ligus bugs. Hector says the issue isn't so much with the pest reducing yield, 
it's more of a quality concern. The Ligus bugs will feed on the young pods and uh, pierce the seeds, and then they inject their saliva and enzymes, and that causes uh, black spots on the, on the grain. Then um, you or ourselves, you know, our farmers would sell the crop to Egypt or uh, Middle Eastern countries where they, they use the fava beans for, for uh, salads and so on. Then they, they wouldn't want to buy the grain that has this dark spot. And I think the flavor is also affected. So that's the main problem. It's a huge challenge because you don't seem to need too many lichen spots to actually affect the quality of the crop. Uh, we have done some research recently with a student from the University of Alberta, and uh, in that work, we showed that you only need something like five or seven LIGOs per 10 sweeps. So if you convert that to LIGOs per sweep, that'll be about half a LIGOs per sweep to actually increase the risk of uh, reducing the quality of the grain. So that's not very high. And the, the only control option available is using insecticides which is a challenge because you'd have to spray the insecticide at late flower so to prevent the ligos from actually you know, being there when the crop is at the early fall. You have to do it when the crop is still flowering. Uh, it'll be towards the end of flowering. And that may interfere with pollination of the crop because fava bean relies quite heavily on pollinators. So they need bees to uh, set seed. So you have to be very careful and, and think about uh, the timing. So you probably want to avoid the periods of the day when the pollinators are more active. So generally we recommend to growers that they should avoid spraying between 10 in the morning and four in the afternoon. That's believed to be the time when the bees are the most active. So they will spray again very early in the morning or, or later in the afternoon. Uh, the other thing to do is depending on where you are, you may want to plant as early as possible. And that's what we find in our area, that if you plant very early, you may be able to escape the ligus bugs. Uh, we noticed that ligus bugs are more serious pests in terms of uh, reaching the abundance and the damaging stages when you plant your crop late. But this is something that has to be researched locally. So I don't know how this would work for your growers in Southern Idaho. I guess you'll need to have your entomologist do some research studies to confirm this, because we see this even in Alberta. Like somebody's in Northern Alberta, I give the uh, different recommendation versus Southern Alberta because the ligus bugs are, are different species, different life cycles, and you know the temperature is so different that you may say, okay, plant as early as possible, and you will avoid the ligus problem. And somebody does that in the Peace River area, far, far in Northern Alberta, and they actually could cause a bigger problem because the ligus could go straight from the overwintering site into the crop, right? And that could be a serious issue and you have more problems. Whereas here, the ligus bows, the first thing they do is they go into the alfalfa or they go into the uh, weedy areas and they produce a generation there first. So if you plant your, your fab in very early while they're still at the nymphal stage, you know, they're still developing in the uncultivated areas, you may be able to escape them and, and avoid that peak time when they, they can migrate into your fava beans. And they will migrate into the fava beans and they will develop there, but hopefully your crop is already at a more advanced stage where the pods are leathery and, and firm and the seeds are no longer soft and juicy 
and the ligase voice cannot affect them anymore. So the timing can be very important. And in this case, in our, our region, I think planting early would be the best. Uh, you will encounter the pea leaf weevil, so you have to do the seed treatment probably or, or have a plan for the pea leaf weevil. At this point, Hector shared something that they're seeing in the research that sounded kind of counterintuitive to me. And that is the presence of some pests, if the populations are properly managed, can actually improve crop performance. In fact, this is something really interesting that many growers are not aware. In a lot of cases, and not just for ligers, but also for other crops and other insects, if you have a few insect pests on the crop, you actually can stimulate the plant. It's like you give the plant a bit of a scare and the plant will overcompensate and say, oh, somebody is attacking my, my flowers or my buds. I better produce uh, more flowers or more buds or I'm going to uh, make like take resources from my stem and put them into the higher branches. Because we have seen the, a bit of a, a stimulatory response where you have a few insects on the plant and you actually get more yield compared to a plant that has no insects at all. So. I think this idea that we need a clean field with zero insects, you know, it's something that we have to get over it and consider that a small population of insects is important to stimulate the plant, you know, to keep it strong. You know, like we can handle a bit of a cold, right? And our body reacts and we become immune and stronger. So same thing happens to the plants. And there's another reason to have a few insects around that are herbivores and you know, feeding on the plants because you need to see the natural enemies also. So imagine if you have a field with no, no insect pests, right? No ligers and no PV peoples. And then a spider comes along and they don't find anything to eat, right? So they are not going to stay in that field. They're going to move away and, and go somewhere else. Or they, you know, will stay there and try to find and eventually starve and they don't have enough food to, to produce babies. And then you have a, there's an unbalance in terms of the populations of beneficials and pests. But obviously, all of this we're talking about here today requires managing a great deal of complexity. I mean, especially to do something like allow certain pest populations, but not too many. Hector says he admires farmers for being able to integrate all of these complexities into their cropping systems. I really admire farmers for being the ultimate integrators. You know, they have to integrate insects, diseases, weeds, the climate, the economics, everything. And for managing an insect pest, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a complex process and you have to plan ahead. When you're planning your crop rotation, I think it's, uh, it's important to keep insects in mind because we are now doing some uh, broad scale studies uh, in an area called landscape ecology. And that refers to studying the areas surrounding your crops and how those affect your insects both the pests and the beneficials. And there are things that you can plan ahead if you know your system. So I guess my advice for growers in general is you have to be informed about the entomology, you know, the insects that are there and find out as much information as you can in terms of how you could maximize the design of your farm. So which crops you put next to each other. Can you integrate um, planting some early? Can you do some trap crops? For example, something that I would like to study in the future is the use of harvins as a trap crop for PV weevils. And maybe that could be also be integrated with lichens, bugs, and other insects. If you have access to manure, you could use manure along the border of a field and plant your harvins there. 
we should attract the leaf weevils, but the manure portion of that field would not produce uh, root nodules. So you could actually get the weevils to come there, lay the eggs there, and they would starve because they wouldn't find any food there, right? So things like that, that I, I know they, they have not been confirmed by research. It's not easy. It's complicated, and there's lots of information to be learned and to be um, integrated into the system. Well, thank you very much to Hector Carcamo for sharing his time and expertise with us here on the podcast. I think he did a great job of presenting the science, the research, and also the practical application of dealing with these pests. We'll leave a link in the show notes to his website as well as his Twitter account if you'd like to follow up. If you're a subscriber to this show on any of the podcast platform, we have a special crossover episode coming your way with the War Against Weeds podcast. That's been a huge issue for us in the adoption of field peas has been a carryover concern. All of our peas are going in either after corn or sorghum. And so if we look at some of those products that give us good residual control of palmer and kochia and those crops, uh, especially in the HPPDs, they give us pretty significant carryover risk uh, into the peas. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your podcast platform of choice so you can catch that upcoming episode as well. The Growing Pulse Crops podcast series is overseen by the Pulse Crops Working Group with funding from the North Central IPM Center, USDA NIFA, the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, and the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Program. We're releasing these episodes two times per month throughout the growing season. We want to make sure that the information is relevant to you. So please tweet us with any feedback or suggestions by using the hashtag Growing Pulse Crops. And we'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks.